Amen. Well, grab a Bible. Make your way tonight. We are going to be in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 30. Now, as we're making our way there, maybe you already figured it out. If you picked up one of the Bible reading booklets or the, that we provide on Wednesday nights, you might have already figured out that it's different tonight. Uh, for the book of Proverbs up to this point in time, we actually were printing out the entire chapter, uh, partly because Proverbs is just so random. Uh, every verse kind of coming at it in different ways, and it, we thought we'd just try a different thing in the, in the, in the early parts of Proverbs, and so we did that uh, for a section in time. But we've got to chapter 30 right now, and it switches. Uh, we are into two very different Proverbs at the end of the book of Proverbs that are not moving in such a random fashion. And so kind of just thought we'd go, you know, just kind of leave that and just say, hey, I just want, I want you to be able to see it in your Bible and be able to follow along and kind of follow along in a, in a way that we're doing that. For some of you, you're excited about that. Others are like, man, I like the booklet. I understand. I'm sorry. Just, but changes are parts of the way we do it. That said, just as a quick FYI, again, the booklet is here for you, and it's really just meant to be a part of, your, your, of, of even this evening. We put a little bit of commentary in there on the inside page, but there really is an application section because one of the things we're always asking is that you would be aware of what God would speak to you this evening that somehow in the midst of what we talk about, there would be a verse or a section that would just jump out at you. We'd love for you to be able to write that down and say, okay, what is this saying? And then what am I supposed to do with it? I mean, really a place that we're hoping to encourage that. You have a place for notes on the back. Uh, and, and we just want to encourage you to walk in that in whatever it looks like. That said, again, just the aim is to have God speak to each one of us through his word. So I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, there's Bibles in front of you, page number on the screen, grab an electronic device. Uh, if you're using one of those that have a Bible app, join us in that so that God would speak to you and he'd speak to me just through his word. So if that is a hope and that is our need, let's go before him right now in prayer and simply ask that he would give us ears to hear uh, what he would say to us. Father, you know us, and I love that reality. We are different people sitting in the same room tonight, some joining online, and you know us. You know what we need. Your word is light to us, and I believe in your faithfulness. You would speak to us. I'm just asking for it. I realize that even around the room, that would be different, that the nugget that you would give us tonight would be one that's just for us. God, help us to hear it, apply it, put it into place in our life, allow your word to be in that place of washing over us and transforming us and helping us to be uh, just into the people you have for us. So give us ears for that. Give us help for that this evening. God, would you take your word and cause, cause life to take place in the midst of it, cause life just to work inside of us in these things. We're asking for that tonight as we submit this time and our lives to you at the same moment. We do that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 30. True story, it's one of my favorite sections in the book of Proverbs. I don't know if it is for you. If you read through the book of Proverbs often, I know some of you do it even monthly. It is a great section. I mean, Proverbs is, all of Proverbs is good, but this section specifically, I really just enjoy pieces of it that just speak into my life, and I'm longing uh, that God would speak them into your life. Now, the author in this is actually different. I mean, we know it's God. God is the author of the scriptures, and so Holy Spirit working. But you might just notice how it begins there in verse 30, chapter 1. It says, The words of Agur, 
the son of Jaca, that uh, his utterance, the man declared to Ithael, to Ithael, to Eucal. We have an introduction. We have an introduction here that it is Agar who is, who, is, who is writing this to us, writing this whole space out of this, and just to chase it right down to the end real fast, we don't know anything about this man. This is the only place he's mentioned in Scripture. Uh, this is the only thing that we know anything about him uh, you know, in the midst of this, and yet God has included his words here. Now, we don't know how that happened. We know in the earlier parts of the book of, of Proverbs, Hezekiah and his men gathered things together. It's possible they gathered this as well. One way or another, God was speaking. And, and we love, in the sense of the book of Proverbs, that God used Solomon, the wisest uh, man in many ways that we talked about early in the book of Proverbs. But it's also good to notice He's not the only one. God worked through others. And so here we have this man that, again, we don't know anything about. We just know that he here has what he says is his utterance. Now, that's an interesting word. The word utterance has the idea of a prophetic thing or a prophetic utterance or even kind of a burden uh, that has been given to him from the Lord. It's been used that way throughout the Old Testament. The idea that God had laid upon him a message, that it had been even in that sense that he found himself just burdened uh, to bring a message, and, and so he does. He brings a message, and he says he declares that to Ithiel and then from, to Ithiel and to Yukal. Now, again, if we don't know anything about Agur, we don't know anything about these other guys either. Uh, just nothing. I mean, these are the only places they're mentioned. Um, could it be his sons? Yeah, possibly. Could it have been his disciples? Uh, could it have been other teachers in the midst of this? Is this kind of like, you know, Luke who writes his, uh, you know, in the New Testament to, to Theophilus? Is this that kind of thing? Again, lots of subjective thoughts in the midst of it. We just don't know. Um, there is a possibility that the, the words here are not names. If, if Ithiel and Yukal are not names, there, there is, you know, hard to chase down some of these kind of proper names or, or what their meanings would be. But some of the translations, some of the, of, of the Hebrew works would say that Ithiel seems to be related to the idea that God is with me and, and Yukal would have the idea of devoured. And there might be some, some uh, Hebrew scholars, some Bible students look at that and find a, a, a message in that, say, well, maybe, maybe this is being written to those who God is with and those who are being devoured. Maybe this is kind of like a message to believers and unbelievers. Or maybe, maybe it's a message kind of even into our own heart, just kind of recognizing, hey, you know, this, there's a parts of me that's surrendered to God, there's parts of me that's not. Lots of interesting stuff. At the end of the day, um, we just don't know. I mean, it, it's one of those interesting things, just kind of looking at it, and I can get lost on those kind of things. But I was, I was helped, and I was reading uh, David Guzik's commentary, and I think I put this quote uh, there in your book, booklet, but he quotes from Jerry Bridges that just simply says it this way, nothing definite is known about the writers, and it is vain to speculate where God is silent. It is much better to give our full attention to the teaching than to indulge in unprofitable speculation about the writers. And I just find myself thinking, that's, that's, that's probably just true. It's probably just like, okay, you know, we, we could spend a lot of time like, well, I wonder what he was saying. I mean, who are these guys? I mean, could it be that their names uh, are a reference? Probably not. I mean, in the midst of it, but here's what we do know is that he had a message. And, and the message is, by the way, what we need to hear. Now, I ought to just quickly mention this. If you have an ESV tonight, 
uh, they went an entirely different direction with it. They, they made some assumptions that uh, some of the, the words were misspelled, and, and so they came out with a phrase that, you know, out of weariness, that is speaking to the weary, and again, it's just an interesting thing, but I probably would, it, it seems like, a, you know, a little bit of a stretch to kind of assume uh, that words were misspelled in the midst of it, so if you have that, I'm just going to say, that's what that is, but it's not found in any of the other translations. All the other translations put them really as proper names, and, and probably rightly so. So what's the message? Uh, what does he have to tell us? Well, he begins in a really neat way. Probably one of my favorite parts of it. Verse 2. Surely, I am more stupid than any man. I do not have the understanding of a man. I have neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. I don't know. Maybe it's just something about me. I really like this beginning. I mean, there's this place that I would put to you that this is a mark of genuine humility, that he begins this way and says, you know what? I think I'm the stupidest person I know. I think I, I, think I, 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 I just don't think, I mean, there's so much I don't understand. There's so many things I don't get. I don't have, I don't, I have an understanding of, of, of men, much less really have this knowledge of, of the Holy One, of, of walking in, in the things that God would have there. And so we have this kind of mark of, of really a deep humility that works in the midst of that. And I just find myself attracted to it. So we have here a, a wisdom literature. So this is wisdom that he says he has a burden, like I have something to say. And it's just not uncommon in that kind of framework, especially in uh, worldly uh, kind of avenues where wisdom is said to put forward, where if somebody says, I have, I have something to say, it's really not common. I mean, it's really very, very common to have people kind of elevate themselves. Uh, to kind of, you know, talk about, you know, why they are so worth listening to. So maybe you've been there, you've been at some, you know, conference, or you've been at some, you know, book, you know, unveiling, and so the person gets up, and they just begin to unpack, you know, why this, like, this person has 14 degrees, and, you know, they've done this, and this, and this, and they, you know, they got, you know, this, and they've, they're just as world famous, and you should listen, I mean, they just kind of, you know, build that person up, and you're kind of like, well, okay, I mean, some of that can just be, you know, understandable, but there is something about that. In fact, I, I found myself thinking about it, thinking of what a contrast uh, Agur's words are to someone like Balaam's. Uh, some of you know there in the book of Balaam, he is one that comes out with a message. He's later, we know he's a, a false teacher in the midst of it, but when he begins his utterance, he says it this way. You know, in Numbers 24, verse 3, it says, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of a man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I mean, it's just this kind of like, man, I, I'm a guy that sees. I know. I mean, I have, I mean, I have eyes wide open, and I have a message for you. And it just kind of drips with this arrogance. It drips with this you know, like, listen to me. And then you get this guy, Agur, who comes on here and says, I think I'm the stupidest guy I know. You know, I think I am more stupid than any person that, that's out there at all. I think I'm in, in that sense. I don't even think I have the understanding of a man. It's so different than sometimes the way the world would put forward its wisdom. It's so different than the self-esteem culture that we live in. Uh, we live in uh, so much today that would say, hey, you know, we just need to feel good about ourselves, that, you know, it's, it's really, you has got to feel this positive self-image that really is never the Bible. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us that. 
It invites us to love God and love people and in some ways just lose sight of yourself. Uh, that, it, that ultimately there's a place that in Christ that you know, we're so focused on God and others that we're not paying attention to who we are. But our world, our world would look at that and say, hey, no, no, you have to have that. But here's a gore who is, you know, say that, you know, in a, in a school setting today, and they'd probably have you in for counseling. You know, like, okay, that's like, you know, but, it's, but he has this place. But it seems to be, in light of this, right in the space that though he's saying this, I mean, honestly, we'll see in a moment, he has some of the most profound just insights uh, into both God and who he is, Anywhere, I mean, all of the Old Testament, he has some of the, the words, the way he sees things, they are just incredibly profound and succinct. And so I'm looking at somebody who is like, man, this guy, he's really got, his, just got this great wisdom. And at the same moment, he feels incredibly small, feels incredibly weak. And I am just reminded that true spiritual growth always humbles us. That growth in Christ, it has this interesting dynamic that maybe you're aware of. If not, let me just make sure that I point it out to you so that you're not surprised. One of the things that God does is He grows us, is He grows us in a way that both helps us to grow in knowledge and understanding and knowing Him, but at the very same moment brings us into a poverty of spirit, brings us into a place where we feel less and less confident about ourselves, that there is a, a place of weakness that kind of grows in the midst of this. I found myself thinking of Paul the Apostle in one of his final letters uh, in, in the New Testament. We have Timothy, and he just says, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst one. He's like, I'm the chief of sinners, and I, I wouldn't want to press it too hard, but it's an interesting thing to watch. In one of Paul's first letters that we have written, he tells us, hey, I'm the least of all the apostles. Like, there's apostles, but, hey, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. And then later, in, in Corinthians, he's like, you know, actually, like, I'm, I'm, I'm probably one of the least of all Christians. Like, you know, like, there's Christians, and I'm probably one of the smallest ones. And now at the end, he's like, I think I'm the biggest sinner there is. I think I'm the chief. I think I am the worst. I mean, I, I, I find more brokenness in me than I find, than I know in anybody else. And one of the surprising things is that it would feel like it would go that direction that God would, would work that in our lives, and yet it is that way. Maybe that's happening with you. Maybe God's doing things in your life, and it is surprising to you that you kind of thought, you know, as I get to know Jesus better and I get to grow in Him more, that I'll become, you know, more confident. I'll become, you know, uh, you know kind of self-esteem, whatever it is, and then you're going the other direction, and you're like, wow, I, don't, I, didn't, I wasn't sure that I saw this. It's not that it's altogether inferior, something we don't see even in life, by the way. You might know how this works, right? No insult intended. But, you know, sometimes it, you know, there is that place of, of, of raising kids. And, you know, you have young kids, they don't know anything, and they kind of know they don't know anything. You know, like everything is, why, 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 why? You know, and, just, and, and then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, they become teenagers. And teenagers, they cut to the place they know everything. You know, pretty soon they're looking at you like, Mom and Dad, you, don't, you should ask me why, because, you know, you don't seem to know anything. I seem to know everything. And one of the things that happens as we mature is we begin to realize how much we actually don't know, uh, that we become more and more aware. Some of it's just knowledge. Some of it's no, just learning all that's there. And so we kind of grow in that. And it's really true that way spiritually. You know, I've, I've honestly found myself 
At times when people ask me questions about things or ask me questions about my understanding, it's like, I, 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 in the back of my mind, I have this like little silly thing. It's like, you know, you should have asked me like 15 years ago when I knew everything. You know, you should have asked me when I had all the answers, you know, it's like, because now I have less answers. You know, now I find myself, you know, in a place of, you know, you know growing, but at the same point, growing in what I don't know growing in, in a sense of my own inadequacy to be able to fully comprehend things in front of me, and yet I find that to be a good growth. And, and again, it's actually just helpful for me uh, to know that's kind of the road that I'm on. And, and, and if I do grow in God, it should actually grow me more that way, that I should be able to kind of, you know, because you could read this, you could read, you know, Agur's words and, and kind of think, well, you know, I say the same thing, I feel the same way, and then it's a really funny thing to actually begin to feel this way. It's like, man, I think I'm the most difficult person I know. I think my brain doesn't seem to be able to compute things at times. I mean, people, everybody else seems smarter than me. You know, it's like, I just, you know, boy, I don't seem to be able to, I mean, there's so much I don't get. There's so many questions I have. And, and yet there is a, a beautiful mark of humility that I find uh, to be a beautiful thing. When I find somebody who has this, especially with what we're about to see, for me, they are the most attractive of people. When I can find somebody who truly has, you know, just gained insights and grown, grown in the ways of Christ and grown in the things that are there, and yet at the same moment are marked by just a deep and real humility, I find myself just thinking, when I grow up, I want to be you. I mean, it's like that is so beautiful when you see that and, and, and everything that's there because here's this guy. So Agur is just saying, hey, I, I'm more stupid than any man. I don't have the understanding of man. I have not learned wisdom, I've, nor do I have knowledge of the Holy One. So he makes that statement, and then he makes some statements uh, about, his, about God and his ways that are incredibly profound. Notice them with me. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters? in a garment, who has established the ends of the earth. What is his name? What is his son's name, if you know? He asks a series of questions that are incredibly profound. They are, in many ways, questions that, that cause us to see things. And if you're kind of a Bible student, you might really gaze onto us and understand the beginning of his questions. They are very reminiscent of the way that God answers Job. When Job is, you know, goes through all of his trials and goes through all of his things, and then God invites him, hey, prepare yourself like a man, and I'm going to answer you. And then he just begins asking him, so where were, you? where were you when I did? I mean, who's ever caused all of these things to happen? When, when did, you know, who is the one that has worked all of these things? And he invites Job to see the greatness of God through the lens of creation, through, the, 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 through all that he is, that he is a God who has established it, made it, provided it, that he is bigger than that, but he's fully seen in that. And it's this incredible just, you know, statement from God that draws us to that, and it feels very much aware where, you know, Agur is. He's like, you know, who's that one? Who's the one who's ascended, descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist, bound the waters in a garment, who has established the ends of the earth? And obviously the answer is, is God. 
Who's that one? Who's this one who is the sovereign God of the universe, who holds everything together? Who's the one that is established to the earth? Who's the one that is working all of these things? And, and it's this place of seeing the greatness of God, which, again, I, I love in the book of Job, when Job sees it, and, and God you know, asks him, he says, hey, I, I used to know about you by this hearing of the year, now I see you, and, and, you are, and I humble myself in dust and ashes, because, God, you're greater than I've ever imagined. What he seems to be drawing us down the same lines that are saying, okay, here are these things that we can look at life itself, the establishment of everything around us, and God is the one who's there. And then he just asks us, so what's his name? Which again is incredibly profound. The name has the idea of not just a title, but his character. Kind of this is Moses and his, you know, and, and his kind of growing maturity. God, show me your glory. And God declares his name to him and helps him to just comprehend the greatness of God, which is incredible. But then he just asks the question, what's his son's name? What's his son's name? Now, I sit here, and, and you are here, and you're in, in church, and so you might read this, and rightly so, you would be like, Jim, that's like the Sunday school answer. That's like, you know, you always ask the question, it's, you know, Jesus is always the answer. I mean, it's like Sunday school answer. It's always about Jesus, and you answer that. It's true. We know who his son is. We, we know who it is. But he asks it here in the middle of Proverbs in a way that is, wow. Now, it's not that it was never seen in the Old Testament. It's not that there weren't glimpses of what God was going to do in sending a son, but they were just glimpses. Few saw it. I mean, it's, it's present at the very beginning in Genesis, where in the very first gospel, God, you know, just proclaims, you know, that, that he's going to send, you know, Jesus through the, the seed of the woman, and, and there's glimpses into that reality. You know, we see it, you know, in, in ways there is Abraham gets glimpses of God saying hey, that, that he would provide himself a sacrifice. There's, there's glimpses there. We get it all the way into the Psalms, where in Psalms 2, you know, you have the, the psalmist just telling us, hey, kiss the son. You, you should kiss the son lest he be angry with you. So there were glimpses in the Old Testament, but few saw the, the, the most profound reality that now for you, hopefully you get a chance to understand. It's everything. The entire message of the Bible is about Jesus. Everything is about God sending his son. Everything is about, you know, God working this incredible reality that, you know, everything flows into this moment that, you know, all of prophecy, as Revelation tells us, is wrapped up into Christ. I mean, he is, is the central theme and the most glorious thing that could ever be presented. And here's this guy. Here's a guru. He's like, I think I'm the stupidest man alive. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody. By the way, do you know his son? Do you know his son's name? Do you, do, you, do you have that? He's asking a question that, that is just, you know, light years ahead of where some other people are, and I find it just to be this amazingly beautiful thing that he is getting it. He's, he, he, in, in his own way, that is still inferior because it can't get to the, the full revelation until Christ gets there, but he has a sense of it. He has a sense of, of what God is doing there, and it's in this incredible reality that here you find somebody who is getting that. Well, what he saw that so many didn't see, can I just pause and tell you what I've already just tried to say, but say it again? It is about Jesus. It is really about Jesus. What God is seeking to bring you to, that the spiritual maturity, the growth in him is to know him and know him more. We sang it just a moment ago. 
Jesus, I want to know you, and I want to know you more. And, and the danger is that at times that can sound Sunday schoolish. That can sound like, well, yeah, that's what you tell them about, you know, but let's get on to the deep things of God. Let's get on to the, like, really just, you know, wow. And it's like, no, no, it really is centered in Christ. That it is this place where Jesus becomes our everything, that he and he alone becomes the life and help to us. And I can tell you that's where God is seeking to draw you. Maybe you're here this evening and you don't have that. Maybe you're outside of Christ, and I can tell you this, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only way. He is the way, truth, and life. There's no other life found but through him, and you need him this evening if you're outside of him. Maybe you're in a space of struggling. Maybe you're just, you're a Christian, and you're doing okay, but you find yourself thinking, I just, I'm really struggling, and I want to say it again. Jesus is the answer. It is him that you need. It is knowing him. It is abiding in him. It is life in Christ that is your everything, that what you desperately need is him. And, and if you find yourself thinking, well, okay, I, I feel like I need to know more. Like I, I, I've learned some things in Christ. I, I have a basic understanding, but I need to know more. You know, when do we graduate to the next level? Well, the next level is more of Christ. I can tell you much of the, of the book of Hebrews that speaks about this in profound ways and say, you know, we, we, there are these you know, elementary things that we speak about from baptisms and laying on of hands and life and repentance, but I want to take you further into Christ. I want you to see more of who he is. I want you to see more of his majesty and power and glory, and it is certainly him. And, and that's what Agura found. He, he is in this place where he's like, you know, this is what I have. Boy, this is, this is, this is what I have. This is the, the, the way that I have it. And again, I just find it once more incredibly attractive to have on one hand this guy that's getting this glimpse of the heartbeat of Scripture, the heartbeat of everything, which is Jesus, and yet it's marked at the same moment with a humility that is like, I think I'm the most stupid, stupid person I know. It is just like, can I be your friend? You know, because I, like I, I, I'm attracted to what I find inside of you, and I am in the midst of this. Well, at the same moment, so we have his incredible humility. We have this deep, you know, just spiritual insight that he has in the midst of it. At the same moment, he just tosses in his absolute confidence in the Word of God. That what he is, he's kind of thinking through these things, both his humility and just this, these questions, these insights he has. He gives it to us this way in verse five and six. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So here's this guy, and he's like, okay, here's what I want to just underscore in the midst of this, this book. This book is trustworthy. You know, he has these incredible insights. He's coming kind of humbling himself and, and, and seeing much there, but he's just going to hold out to you and I right now that, that the answers are found here, that this is the word of God. This is, you know, this isn't this the beginning of our, of our Christian life. This is our, our, our foundation in the midst of it and that everything is flowing in that. And he just says right now, you just need to know every word of God is pure. The idea of that is that there's just not anything that's mixture. It's not like, well, you know, it's 99% good, or it's, you know, 90%, you know, most of the Bible's good, and like, he says the whole thing. It's as if everything is, that there's not anything that we, we can't find help in, that you can trust in this. I like this, and Adam Clark, in his commentary, said it this way, a metaphor taken here from the purifying of metals, everything that God has pronounced Every inspiration which the prophets have received is pure. 
without mixture of error, without dross, whatever trials may be, it may be exposed to, it is always like gold, it bears the fire, comes out with the same luster, with the same purity, and with the same weight. He says, as if you could throw this in the, in, in the fires of all its testing, and this is pure. This comes out like gold. This is trustworthy. This is reliable. God's word is that which we can say, thank you. <laughs> thank you that in a world that things are untrustworthy and so many things that are untrue, to find God's word to be pure, to find his word uh, to be that which can be trusted in. And he invites us to that. He invites us into a place that there would be a shield that's found here. And and the context of this is that it's found in God's truth. Because he's definitely talking about every word of God is pure. And then in verse 6, you know, don't add to his words. And so this insert in the midst of us that he is a shield to those who put their trust in him would have the idea that you're putting your trust in him because you believe what this book says. That you're saying, okay, well, you know, here's what God says. <laughs> here's what God says, and because God says it, I believe it. And, and when I do that, it's as if a protection, you know, rises, you know, whether you kind of, you know, think about it in kind of the images that he's probably thinking about it, you know, from a soldier holding up a shield that's blocking, you know, incoming blows, or if you're kind of a sci-fi person and you want to say, hey, shields up and put up, and he says, it is that. This is what protects you. When you believe this, there are things that cannot get you. When you believe this, when you say, God, I trust you, I trust your word, I trust what you're saying, I, I trust what you're, what you're kind of communicating in the midst of that, he says, there's something here that becomes life to us. There's something here that becomes help to us, and it's certainly so. And with that, he just gives a warning. Don't mess with it. Since it's all pure, and everything's there. Don't add to it, because if God didn't say it, we didn't need it. Don't take away from it. Don't take away from it. You know, to be those who, who, who believe it, who say, hey, this is, this is what we have. And it's, a, it's an important reality, because for many Bible students at times, we, we almost, we, we would say, oh, God, I wish you said more. You know, or wish you'd given different things. Or, you know, I know you gave us this, but I wish you would tell us that. And sometimes people try to, you know, go beyond that. Go beyond what God has said and said, okay, you know, well, I know it's not in the Bible, but we need to know this. And, you know, what he's telling us is, no, don't, don't do it. You know, I think about Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, it says, you know, the, the secret things belong to the Lord. Like, there are things that, yes, that are beyond us. But those things which are revealed, they're for us. They are life to us. So there's a value that's being communicated to us in the weight of the scriptures in the sense that we would look and say, don't don't do anything with this. And think about it. You know, at the end of the Bible, we have that same reminder. You know, it's given to us there in Revelation 22 in the last chapter of the Bible, kind of as a stamp of authority over all of it, where it says, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in the book. And it becomes a stamp of approval over the book of Revelation, but as Revelation is the final of the books of the Bible, it casts, it's it's kind of just, it's like, don't, don't add to it, don't take away from it. Those are scary spaces. Those are scary spaces. Think about cults. 
who come along and, you know, maybe you've had the two guys in white shirts come to your door, you know, and, and they'll tell you, well, that's really, really great that you have a Bible. Wouldn't you like to have a, another, you know, set of scriptures given to us? And it's like, I want to say, no, I, I would not, you know, because don't add to his words. You know, don't, don't, don't add to his words. Don't, don't, don't do that. You know, don't be in one of those spaces where people say, well, I know it doesn't the Bible, but I thought I would, you know, and just, well, that's, that's about the end of that. I, I just, I want to hear this. I need to hear what this is. And so Agur is giving this to us. He's kind of giving us this foundation of saying, you know, here's, here's what I have. You know, I have these, this insight, I have these places, but I have this solid confidence in the book. I just give it to you. I just tell you it would be that way for you this evening. I hope it's so. Because if you believe it, you would find it, yeah, this is, this is safety. This provides security. This provides help into a place that we would have that. And a guru is just testifying to that and giving that to us. Then he adds to it. And he gives us a prayer, kind of a double prayer that he's going to pray in the midst of this. Two almost like life big kind of prayers in the midst of this that he just wants to unpack for us. But again, I just pause because there's a little bit of the flow. I just want to make sure you're seeing it because, again, this is unlike the rest of Proverbs. That is just random. One thing is not building on another. This is building. We have this one who is deeply humble, but he has these incredible insights into the greatness of God. He has a trust in God's word that is help and hope to him. And now he offers two, repri- two requests that he says really are his main requests. He says it this way in verse 7. Two things. Two things I request of you. Before, do not deprive me before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So two things he's asking for. Two things that, that are in the midst of this. And let me just kind of scoot that up on the screen so we have a tiny bit of space there. His first really is this prayer that I would say for just what I long to be real. I long to be real. He says, Lord, keep me. Keep me from falsehood. Keep me from being deceptive or being a liar. Keep me from that. And then keep those lies far from me. You know, keep me from lies. Keep me from uh, falsehood. Keep lies far from me. And there's just an incredibly profound request in this. Satan is known as the father of lies. That's what Jesus said. And that so much that is in our world is built on that. It's built on deception. It's built on lies. And maybe you're aware of it. Maybe you find yourself, you know, finding, you know, looking at our world and thinking, so what can I trust in? What's good? What, what else is, I mean, God's word is good, but so much other stuff is there. But then you get closer to it and, and you find even in your own life longing for that reality. We look at the opposite of this and it's often uh, kind of put forward in the idea of hypocrisy, uh, that there's this idea of, you know, looking one way on the outside, being something else on the inside. And there's something about that that inside of us, I hope you just feel it. I hope you just feel almost a hatred for it. It's like, I don't want that. I mean, I understand that sometimes what churches can be. I understand what people can be. But if there's, a, if there's something, if there's a reality uh, that I can be real with God and have a real relationship with God and, and, and not be, you know, living a, a lie that is that, then it's, it's, it's a beautiful request. And it's a needed request. There's not anyone here this evening that you're not like, well, that's really good. I got, I got that one covered. 
got that one covered. Let's go past it. No, you have not. I just want to tell you, we, we struggle with this. We struggle with being lied to, and we struggle with lying to our own selves, and, and there's this longing for reality, and I love the request, and I just make it mine. It's like, I want that. I want that. That'd be great. Yeah, like rescue me from lies and rescue me from being that. Rescue me from, from any kind of place in that. Keep me from falsehood. Keep me from being kind of encapsulated by that, captured by that, being that. Rescue me from that. It's just a really good request. And I love that that's exactly what God is doing. That what he's doing inside of us in Christ is this. That which is going to be uh, just fully come to life uh, when we stand before God and we're there in heaven, and we leave our flesh behind, I just want to tell you, it's going to be, it's glorious, because it's it's real. There's no lie, there's no deception, there's there's, there's a reality from the inside out, and, and it's that which we're longing for more in this life. But it's a fundamental reality that I just look at and think, that's a good one. That's a, that's a good one. I can pray that. That's a, that's, that's a good request that would kind of flow through so much of life. God, rescue me. <laughs> rescue me from lies. Rescue me from all that that would be. Then he adds his second request. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food allotted to me. Give me what you have for me, God. Give me what you have allotted for my life. And I like that word allotted. I like just the, the idea of, God, give me what you would have for me, what you would you know, be the one that would provide for me. And then he just puts it in such a beautiful way. And maybe, maybe this is a prayer you have or know you could, but maybe it's a prayer you should be able to pray. He says, Lord, you know what you have for me. Don't give me more than that. Don't give me more than, you, than, than what I should have in my life. Don't give me more and don't give me less. Don't give me more and don't give me less. There's an honest re- request here that... Um, Sometimes even in our own frailty, we, we fail to ask. I mean, some of us like, I can handle it. Like, give me, give me more. <laughs> give, me, give me more. Like, I want more than, than everything's there. Oh, Lord, give me less. I can do it. But there's this honest place. It's like, Lord, you know my bandwidth. You, you know me. You, you, you know what, what, how you, who I am. You know where I am. He says, God, don't give me too much. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too much riches. He says, if he did that, he says, you know, lest I be full and I deny you. Like, what if, you, what if it goes to my head? What if, what, if, what if I get too much, and instead of that being good for me, I begin to be trusting in myself? What if, what if, it, what if it is that, and, and, and that goes to my head, and it keeps me from you? God, don't do that. Don't, don't give me more uh, than, than I should have, because I don't want that to happen. But don't give me less than I need, because, Lord, if, if it's too less, if I'm poor, what if, what if I'm driven to steal? What if I'm driven to take matters in my own hand and life in my own hand and I profane your name? And it's this incredible prayer that just comes and says, God, we would say it kind of in the New Testament way, your will be done. God, give me what you have for me. But I love this because it's this honest place of saying, God, you know me. You, you know me. And there could be a sense that if I have too much, it'll mess me up. Now, that can be finances, and it can be, you know, money that would make us feel just, you know, some of you are like, well, I'd like to try. You know, it's like, well, no, no, <laughs> I mean, there is too much, and God knows what, how much is too much. You know, he's like, I don't want you to have that, because it would be more important that you don't have that than it go to your head. Sometimes it can be blessings. 
I think about Paul the Apostle, who God gave him so many things, even gives him this, you know, incredible, you know, vision uh, into heaven, it tells us in 2 Corinthians, then God gives him a thorn, gives him a thorn of flesh, because I know you, he says, I know what's going to happen, if I don't give this to you, it's going to go to your head, and and you need this lesson, it's going to exalt you above measure, and Paul's like, okay, well, I, that, yeah, keep me in my, keep my in here, because, you know, God's like, I got to counter you, because I know where your heart is. I know that if I don't do this in you, it's going to go wrong, and Paul's able to embrace that. I mean, what a great place it would be if we could come into the same place and say, God, I, I want that. You know, whether it be money, or success, or whatever it is, like, God, don't give me too much. You know, I mean, I think about it. I'm a pastor, so I can honestly say, Lord, like, don't let the church ever get bigger than it should, you know, because I got, you know, like, what, what if it did? And it went to my head, you know, like, God, you only give me what you have for me. But also don't let me go too low, because if it got too low, you know me, you know how frail I am. And there's this, this beautiful place that just says, God, yes to that. Yes to that. And, and, and it's just this beautiful place to say, God, I want what you have for my life. I want whatever that is, what you know that is good for my soul what you know that would be good for me and my walk with you more than uh, all the things that would drive people, whether it be success and money and, you know, so many in our world, like, yeah, just get more. If you could just be more popular, if you could be more powerful, you could just have more stuff. But I love this request. It's like, God, you know me. You know what that is. Don't let me get there. So like, if it's for me, then just kind of strip it away. Make those things not be there. Whatever it takes to keep me in this place of walking with you, there is a beautiful place of just saying, God, I want that. Now again, maybe you pray that. Maybe you've never prayed it exactly that way. Maybe again, you've prayed it like, you know, God, your will be done. But even in the back of your mind, you're always kind of like, I hope your will is like more, you know? And, you know, it's like, you know, I hope we're going to do like, instead of just coming, like, this is a good request, this is a good request. It's like, don't, 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 let me, don't let me mess it up, God. You know me. You know, what, you know who I am, and I don't want that. I don't want to go astray, and, and I love just the simplicity. I love the, the, the landing of that, and it's just one that works good in my life, and maybe for you this evening, again, just to come in and say, God, I want this. I mean, I think about everything else he's seeing, this trust in God, this humility, and yet he's able to look at life and just say, God, these are the requests I have for you. And again, maybe you've prayed this in different ways, but maybe for some of you that tonight, even before you go to bed, it's like, I have not prayed these, but I could. These are good requests. I should be able to go and say, God, these two things I also want to ask of you. God, keep me from lies. Keep me from, from, from being lied to. Keep me from being a liar. Keep me from deception. Keep me from all of those things. And God, give me what you have for my life, whatever that is. Lord, it, it may not be as much as other people, it may be less than other people, it may be, but you know what that is for me, and my soul is more important than those things. God, give me what that is, and, and I love just what that is. Give me what you have allotted for me. It's a good surrender into God's good plan for our lives, and just a good place for us to be. Now, with this, he adds an interesting proverb that is going to kind of transition. Uh, we're going to, you know, only make it to the next verse, and then we'll get to the rest of the chapter next week as he kind of then t- takes us and just takes us on a journey uh, that's going to look at those who are rejecting all of this, uh, rejecting everything that is God, which is much what the rest of the chapter is about. Uh, but he has this kind of transitionary statement, which is kind of an interesting one and almost stands oddly uh, for many a Bible student, but I I just want to give it to you, and I think it's helpful if you just kind of connect it to what we've just said. So verse 10, he says, do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. 
says, you know, don't, don't go and start, you know, maligning other people uh, to, you know, about them to the master or anybody else. Don't be that that is, you know, becoming uh, critical or attacking other people. And how would that connect into this? Well, I think it does. At least it does in my soul. And if it's helpful, I'll just give it to you this way. So this prayer that he just prayed, the idea of keeping it real and this allotment you have for me, it's a really good request that you can pray for your own soul. But here's the prideful, selfish part of us. Sometimes we read this, and instead of thinking about our own soul, we begin to think about other people's souls. You know, we begin to think, yeah, Lord, don't give them that much. Like, you know, like, that's gonna mess. Give them less, or give them more. Or God, that person, yeah, they need that. They are so phony. They need to be real. Like, that person is, you know, when I'm thinking about praying for real, I need it, but they need it more. I mean, you should see them. I mean, they're just, I mean there's this weird place where we begin to, take these beautiful requests that are for our own soul and our own help, and instead of just saying, God, you know me, help me to be real, and, and, and help me to have what you have for me, and then we can begin to look at others, and he says, don't, don't do that. Don't complain about somebody else. Don't, don't work in that. I find myself thinking when Paul talks about it in Romans 14, he says, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or fall. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. He says, what, what business is this for you to start critiquing and criticizing somebody else's servant? Like, you know, as if that was your responsibility in, in some of these places. He says, don't go there. Especially in these things, because they're subjective. They're, they're, we're not talking about solid truth, like, hey, you're, you're turning away from Jesus, or you're rejecting, you know, every word of God that's pure. The things that we just prayed for, they are, they are personal things. They are things that nobody else could fully see them or, or be in them, and, and they just live there. And to take those and begin to put them on other people, it really just becomes damaging. And, and he says, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't, you, don't, you don't want to be rebuked. And again, it's just a nice little reminder. And probably didn't happen for anybody here this evening. But if it did, if we were just covering these two requests and you were thinking about somebody else, uh, drop it. Say, you know what, that's, that's between them and God. God, God, will, God will take care of his servants. These requests are for me. God, I want to be real. God, I want to be real. And God, give me what you have for my life. You know, that's other people, you, that's between you, them and you. It's not for me to judge or me to look on those places. But for me, it's a good space for me to come and say, God, I want my soul uh, to be in a place of humbling itself before you and walking in these things. And it's just a good little check right there to get us back into the space that we would walk in this. Wow. See, I look at all of this, and again, we're only halfway through uh, Agur's words. The rest of the chapter, again, he's going to just take us on a, another journey that we'll talk about next week. But I just pause and say, I don't know about you, but I really like this guy. I mean, I'm just like, I like this guy. You know, he begins in this great place of humility. I'm, I'm more stupid than any man. He has these incredible insights that take him into the, this glimpses into Christ and, 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 and the Son of God, you know, into his confidence in the Word of God, and then this beautiful prayer. And it's just a good space to look at that and say, this is a, this is a good picture of the life that God would have for us, that this would be a space that he would bring us to, a place that we, you know, could, could be humble, truly humble, 
you know, and yet having just this knowledge of God that's growing, this confidence in his word, and yet this place of just praying and saying, God, make me real. Make this, make me the person you want me to be in life. And it's a good place. And, and I don't know if it's as attractive to you as it is to me. I look at all of these things and think, I want all of these. Like, I want everything we just covered. I want that to be true of me. And so as we're laying that before you this evening, we kind of pull this evening to a close, and we're going to head into a space where we're going to take communion. It's the last Wednesday night of the month, uh, you know, so it's a good space for us to do that on Wednesday nights. But what a good space it is for us to do right here. Can I just point out a couple of realities as we think about taking communion? For starters, I mean, surely this is what we need. It would draw us to Christ. It would draw us to Him being the life and central part of who we are. And if you're outside of that, again, we just want to tell you communion is our way of saying, hey, this is our everything. That Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. It is, it's the very message of God. It's the, the, the very testimony that He is giving to us, and you need Him. So if you're outside of that, we cry out to you to come to that this evening. If you have that, then it's a good space for us to come back to it, to come back to this place where we're saying, oh, I want that, I want this insight that helps me to see Jesus, that humbles me, that gives me that trust, that brings me into this, but even into a space that is just right with other people. You know, as we just head into communion, I just quickly toss this out. Communion is a beautiful thing. It's a place where we remember Jesus. It's a place where we remember his cross and what he did for us. It's meant to be for believers. It's meant to be a place that that washes over us. But one of the elements that's also true about communion is it is meant to be connection. Uh, communion is that. To commune means to commune, like to have fellowship, to, to have just this fellowship. And we're celebrating a fellowship with God, but we're also celebrating a fellowship as the body of Christ. That to take communion is that. So important is this that and Paul would have to write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 that they were taking communion and yet they develop all these practices that mess up everything. And at the very moment they're taking communion, they become divisive. Uh, they're, they're being, you know, sectioning into rich and poor. And, and, and he says, you are messing up the entire message. You're messing this whole thing up because this is, this is a place where the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, as it were. And, and so we come into communion, and it's this place of saying, you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you and I stand here together. And we are, we are with Jesus. And so right now, I get to be in this place almost as it ends there, like, hey, I, I should not be in the place where I'm a critic and critique of, of, of my brothers and sister in Christ. And so much so that if there's anything there, if there's anything between you and another believer, it's a good space right now uh, just to come in and say, you know, Lord, if I have been judging my fellow servant, it's a good space for me to say, God, that's yours. I'm going to leave them into your care. Uh, you take care of them. And, and, and yet I want to come in and just say, here we are in Christ. Here we are in this incredible uh, relationship. And so we take communion together. Uh, again, just I think about it. Never in the Bible will you ever find somebody taking communion alone. It, it's not that way. We always take it together. But here on Wednesday night, we do it in this interesting way that is both, in the sense that we're going to take communion in just a moment, and it is together. Uh, we are going to be here in this place of worship. We're going to put the communion elements up here. We're going to put the, where the worship team is going to lead us in song, and we're going to invite you to come and take communion. But it is together. It is this place where you are entering into it, that you're saying, okay, I'm with these people tonight. And, and even though we're not taking the elements at the exact same second, the, the reality is firmly fixed here that we're coming in to say, I'm connected. I'm connected to Christ. I'm connected to these people, and I want to walk in that. 
I want that to be who I am. And so again, here's our instruction just to make it plain. I'm going to pray. Then the worship team is going to lead us in two songs. Why do they do that? We're going to put the communion elements up here at the front of the, uh, of the church, and we're just going to invite you whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready, in the middle of the first song, in the middle of the second song, come up. Take communion. You can take it up here. You can take it back to your chairs. You can stand. You can kneel. But just make that yours in the midst of this, your connection to God and your connection to everybody else that's here. Again, it's not something that you're taking the communion and you're going home into the park or something like that. We're taking it here together. And there's something about that reality that we want to permeate this moment and longing that God would work that so again, whenever you're ready, take that communion in, in the midst of those songs. When you're done taking communion, uh, there in the front of your chairs, there's these little uh, squares in part of the metal. You can just put your communion cups there so you don't have to sit there and hold on to them. And then just worship. Again, two songs. So at the end, just stay for both songs in the midst of it and long that God would just meet us in a way that connects us and draws us to Christ. So let me pray for that and ask God to draw us into this. Father, thank you for the words of Agur. Thank you for his insights that I find so beautiful, so life-giving, so attractive. God, I thank you that that's found in you. I thank you that what you have for us is found in you. I thank you that, that what you would want for us is to be drawn there, that the heartbeat of the entire scriptures is to draw us to Christ. So we step into this moment. And Jesus, we want to take these elements and we want to remember you. Just like you told us to. We want to, to, to make you the focus and make you the hope and, and to realize everything we are is found in you. God, I pray for this. I pray that you would work a real and genuine and good work in us, drawing us to you, drawing us into the midst of that. Yet, Lord, I also just bring to you the reality that part of our celebration of communion is not only the communion that we have with you, but the communion we have with one another. This one body. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. For everybody who is a genuine follower of Jesus, we are family, and we are connected, and we are in Christ. God, I know that's what you want us to know. I know that it flows out of this, that there's that beautiful picture of what communion is and this beautiful connection that we are. So Lord, if there's anything that's missing in that right now, if in our lives we are being critical, judgmental of somebody else, may the final words that we covered tonight just cause us away from that, that we are not to be you know, rebuking, judging our, our fellow servants. To you, they stand. You're able to make them stand. And God, may we be able to embrace and to, in Christ, say that the, the, the same standing that I have is what every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ have. That it's not me, it's you. It's not my good works. It's you, Jesus. I come with nothing. Nothing at the foot of the cross. I bring nothing. It is all you. And every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ are there with me. And I, and I thank you for that unity. I thank you for that reality. And I pray that that's exactly what we'd be expressing. So much so that Jesus, you said that the world would know that you were yours because of the love we have for one another. Work that in this from this. We ask for that right now. 
We thank you. We thank you for this time. Bring us into this right now, remembering you. We ask for that in Jesus' name.